the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. Happy Thursday, August 12th, 2021. Happy birthday to my friend Eileen. Will we ever, moving on, will we ever be rid of this meddlesome priest? Or is it just going, is the problem going to continue to grow? New York Post headline, majority of Democratic voters now prefer socialism to capitalism. A new Fox News poll showed that more Democrats favor socialism over capitalism in a sharp reversal from just a year and a half ago. Look what a year and a half of painting Marxist slogans all over the country can do. The poll taken between August 7th and 10th showed that 59% of registered Democratic voters, let's just call it 60% of Democrats, had a positive view of socialism compared to just 49% who fell that way about capitalism. In February last year, when the question last was asked, this was of course before BLM took fire, and it did take fire. Fifty percent of Democrats who participated said they had a favorable view of capitalism, with just 40 percent saying the same of socialism. So we've seen, um, oh, a, ni- a, 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 90, a 19 point increase from 40 to 59 percent, a 19 point increase amongst the Democratic Party that favors socialism. As I said, you give yourself a year and a half of this kind of national genuflection before a Marxist movement, and we should be thankful they're saying socialist and not Marxist at this point. Although if you read the Communist Manifesto or any communist country, it's all about socialism. One of the interesting things you will hear from Democrats who are defending this is the same thing you will hear from advocates, from the Democratic Socialists of America to members of the socialist and Marxist organizations in America, which is all your examples, Liebson, Soviet Union, you name it, Cuba, they were all imperfectly applied and tried. But not everyone does say that. Not everyone says it was imperfectly tried. Everywhere it failed. Not everyone says that. Bernie Sanders doesn't say that. Twice the runner-up for the Democratic's party, Democratic's part, Democratic Party's nomination for the presidency. Once the sole socialist member of the entire Congress, now joined by five others, at least in name, never mind practice. But not even Bernie Sanders says socialism has never been tried. He doesn't say that at all. Let me note that though Joe Biden was supposed to be the answer to Bernie Sanders, lest we forget, he did sign, Joe Biden, a unity task force document 
with Bernie Sanders after Bernie Sanders quit the race. But he's never said it was fail. It was a failure because it was imperfectly tried. He has bragged about it. He has bragged about Cuba. He has bragged about the Soviet Union. He has actually said breadlines are a good thing. When advised not to praise the Castros, he has done it. So much for the idea it's failed everywhere because it was not done right. He thinks it did succeed. He's even praised the economic programs of Venezuela as preferable to the United States. No apologist is he. Irving Kristol, I think, answered all of this best when he wrote, There is a dwindling band of socialist fideists who keep insisting that we must not judge socialism by any of its works. The Soviet Union, they tell us, is not socialist at all, nor China or Yugoslavia or Hungary or all those other people's democracies. Neither, of course, are other regimes whose claims to socialist legitimacy are not to be taken seriously by socialists in America, evidently. As for Western countries with social democratic governments, such as Britain, or Sweden, they get a passing grade for effort once in a while, but it seems that they are insufficiently resolute or intelligent enough to bring true socialism about. It's all quite ridiculous. Of course, socialism is what socialism does. The plaintive lament of the purest that socialism or capitalism or Christianity has never really been tried is simply the expression of petulance and obstinacy on the part of ideologues who convinced that they have a more profound understanding than anyone else of the world and its history, now find that they have been living a huge self-deception. People who persist in calling themselves socialists, such people are anachronisms as people who live in socialist countries clamor to get out. But they do serve a purpose. They help the historian and scholar understand what socialists used to think socialism was all about, I suppose. One could discover that from reading books, to be sure, but it is sometimes enlightening to interview an actual survivor. And when you do, you will find a rush towards the idea of American constitutionalism. But it is something interesting about it having never been tried well or perfectly enough. You never hear that about other things. You never hear it about certain religions or that the free enterprise system has never really been tried. No, rather socialists look at America, find its failings, and then look to the ideological and economic programs of China or the Soviet Union of your Venezuela or Cuba and say, let's try that here, only better to fix, if not transform America. The other interesting thing about that intellectual curiosity is that the left has spent over 70 years opposing the idea that America should be tried, Americanism should be tried in those countries. We never in the left hear about exporting some of what America has to the countries of socialist and communist misery, only importing their noxious philosophies here. It's always about importing the noxious, not exporting the good. Why they don't think we have any good to export. If that doesn't tell you how very warped their worldview is and how invincible their ignorance of reality is, I don't know if anything can. But the warning, take them seriously because they take their ideas seriously and they take what they want to do to you 
seriously. And they're growing. It's not a battle of first impression. The fight against Marxism in any of its guises used to be known as the long twilight struggle, John Kennedy's phrase. It began somewhere after the Iron Curtain speech when we were first seriously warned about it from Winston Churchill in 1946. The same very year Congress started investigating communism in America, and it ended with, or I should say culminated, with the presidency of Ronald Reagan. You may may recall he actually thought we could win this twilight struggle. I was one of the unique things about his candidacy and presidency. Until then, think about this when you argue about the Republican Party. Until then, Republicans generally thought we could manage or live in a twilight struggle. And Democrats thought, somewhere beginning in the early 1970s, though there were some exceptions, that we should actually surrender to it. The difference between the Democratic Party of 1960 and 1972 is really quite amazing what took place in those 12 years, as was the party's thwarting of every single Reagan foreign policy initiative a decade later that did bring about the fall of communism, which was the decade Bernie Sanders started arriving on the scene to ply his ideological trade of socialism. Bernie was becoming popular at the same time Reagan's presidency was in its tenure, when you, what you never saw then, but we take as normal or commonplace now, is the naturalness, the blasé of it all. Socialism here, socialist members of Congress there, given glassy, glossy uh, magazine covers, endorsements from the mainstream of the Democratic Party and the media. And it's also very normal, so very usual, so ho-hum, as if it's not abnormal to say nothing of disgraceful or execrable. Take the lead signatory of that Biden-Sanders joint memorandum of political understanding I referenced earlier. The lead signatory, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, someone who boasts being a member of the Democratic Socialists of America, the successor organization to the Socialist Party of America. Rashid Tlaib is also a member. So too Cori Bush, Ilan Omar. One might want to spend some time on the DSA website, as I have, and I'll tell you what you find when you go there. I don't want to hear that the Democratic Party in America is moderate anymore or represents the mainstream. Just because the mainstream of the Democratic Party is now socialist doesn't mean it's the mainstream of America yet. Not if we have something to say about it. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I want to do a shout-out to my dear friend Maddie, who's traveling north on the I-17 May the wind be at your back. And again, a very special birthday wish to your dear mom and dear friend Eileen. May you do well. Take that, Doug. Welcome back. 602 I'm glad we're not political, politicizing things here. Today, a, um, a school district in Tennessee had a vote. A school board had a vote in Tennessee on whether to require masks uh, for students to return to school. The school board had a lot of opposition to it, but ultimately voted 
to mask the students, Joe Biden, president of the United States, said today as a result of that or in light of that to the mayors and school superintendents who are standing up, thank God we have heroes like you. Thank God we have heroes like you. It is now the godly and heroic thing to mask children. The um, British Medical Journal, which is at first or second most respected medical journal in Europe, next to the Lancet, I don't know. I know the Lancet has a lot of problems. But the British Medical Journal, can I quote directly? I shall do so now. Aside from the highly variable protective effects The World Health Organization mentions several negative aspects of frequent long-term use of face masks for children, fueling the debate as to whether the benefits outweigh the drawbacks. Every sentence has a citation and a footnote. Many report claustrophobic experience and difficulty getting sufficient oxygen due to the increased resistance to inhaling and exhaling. This can lead to an increased heart rate, nausea, dizziness, headaches, and several other symptoms. In an inquiry among Belgian students wearing mouth mouth masks for one week, 16% 16 reported skin problems, 17% sinusitis. Also problems with eyes and headaches and fatigue were frequently mentioned. Furthermore, face masking can provoke an increase in stress hormones, with a negative impact on immune resilience in the long term. Face masks prevent the mirroring of facial expressions, a process that facilitates empathetic connections and trust between pupils and adults, especially teachers. This leads to a significant increase in socio-psychological stress. During childhood and puberty, the brain undergoes sexual and mental maturation through hormonal epigenetic reprogramming Several studies show that long-term exposure to social psychological stress leaves neuroepigenetic scars that are difficult to cure in young people and often escalate into mental behavioral problems and weakened immune system. A recent study by the CDC concludes that in young adults, the level of anxiety and depression has increased by 63% since the corona crisis. A quarter of them think about suicide. As a result, the use of antidepressants has increased by 25%. Shall we just keep pushing on our children and pressuring them and calling those who do so heroes? They're not heroes. They're not heroes. They're acting in the face of science. Someone made this point earlier today. I don't know this person, but I agree with this person. We regard any conceivable harm from COVID as presumptively real and worth mitigating, no matter how speculative. But any conceivable harm from our mitigation is presumptively wrong or illusory and not worthy of worrying about, no matter how concrete. How did that happen? How did that happen? Are you going to tell me it's not Political? Are you going to tell me that when Kamala Harris and Joe Biden are doing everything they can right now to get people vaccinated, that they weren't being political when they last year, when it was a different president, said they would not trust the vaccine if it came under that other president? 
and yet we made it political? We made it political? We did not make it political. And it is not heroism to abuse and punish our children because the teachers' unions or the panic pornographers or the psychologically infirm think that that's what will make them feel better. We'll get our kicks out of progressivism and we'll get our kicks out of feeling good about ourselves by kicking the vulnerable in the name of saving the adults and the saving the healthy. Give me a break. You guys are all frauds. You're all frauds until you're willing to tell me that you do have at least some concerns about the mental and social and educational and physical health ramifications of the children you are having mask. Until you at least admit there may be something to it rather than just cavalierly wiping it away as the fear of a troglodyte or the fear of the unenlightened, or the fear of the Republican Trump supporter, then you have nothing to teach me. I want just a little humility on behalf of our vulnerable population here. The population that was promised this would be temporary and we'd be getting back to normal soon. The population we've been told, just be patient. The population that was told will be going back to school normally in the fall. The population that was told that kids need to be in school. The population that has been told by nonprofit after nonprofit after nonprofit that children matter, that kids matter, that we're going to do everything we can for the sake of our children. Well, are we? Are we? When parents go to school board meetings objecting to this novel prophylactic we are now putting on healthy children to protect I don't know who, but theoretically protect adults, are we in sync? Are we in comportment or are we out of sync and out of comportment with everything we say we care about when it comes to our children? We're out of sync or out of comportment, and suffer the children they will. To to what? Salve the fears, unfounded fears of adults? You go ahead and listen to the New York Times all you want. All you want. I'm not going to stop you. But I am going to tell you that their credibility is much worse than mine. I'll tell you how and why when we come back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Our good friend John Dombrowski, he is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. His website is grandcanyonplanning.com, and he has a radio show right here every Saturday morning at 7 a.m., The Word on Wealth. He brings us our culture and economy update. J.D., how are you? Happy Thursday. Thank you, Seth. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. There was a – you're a history buff. There's some this day in history – 
um, having to do with the Gold Rush, the Klondikers, and the California and the California Forty Niners. And it just had me thinking. Uh, have you visited any of that area before? Have you gone to the like Yukon Territory or anywhere in Alaska or California? Yeah. I did an Alaskan cruise once, but we really didn't see any of that. But, you know, the closest to anything like that, I was, you know, up through the California uh, area where the 49ers were up in that area. I've driven through there and kind of had a little bit of taste of that, which was great. The, interest, the interesting but, thing is you ask yourself, for all of the talk and, and, and uh, you know, uh, cons- uh, historiography about it, how many people actually got really wealthy in those gold rushes? And it turns out precious few. Yeah, precious few. Probably the people who where they brought the gold to, those people got probably more uh, wealthier than the actual people who are out there digging and digging and trying to find the gold. Yeah, precious. But and and precious few. One of them was William Randolph Hearst's father, by the way. Oh. He made his fortune in quartz in the California gold area. <laughs> anyway, JD, I um, gold. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, talk to me. What's uh, what's concerning you today? I think uh, one of the bigger issues <laughs> I'll tell you that's concerning me is unemployment, but not for lack of job openings. Exactly. We had the JOLTS report this week, which is the job openings report, and uh, it showed a histor- historic number over ten million job openings, Seth, in this country. So this is, these are if people want to get a job right now. Jobs are available. You look at just drive down the street and you see signs in every window almost of any business that says we're hiring. Um, they're looking for people. We had 8.7 million people still unemployed. Uh, and uh, so we've got more jobs available, available than the people unemployed. But one of the underlying factors I think that is probably hindering uh, people getting back to work, and we've talked about this before, which is the extended unemployment benefits. Then there's the supplemental benefits for federal employees, which is, you know, giving them additional money not to come to work. We've got uh, renting. People who are renting who are not paying their rent, even if they can afford to pay it, they're not paying it because they know they can't get evicted. Mm -hmm. And you've got these people out there, landlords, who own buildings that are not getting rent from people, but they cannot evict them. This is a real challenge for a lot of people out there, Seth. We've got to figure out a way to work through these details so that it becomes uh, more beneficial for everyone. This is not helping uh, the overall economy to recover right now when we're still seeing so many job openings and so many people who are not willing to go out and get those jobs. You make an interesting point that until we get our hands around that, we may not be able to turn around these upside-down numbers. Right. And we may not get to that until the next, frankly, the next uh, session of the United States Supreme Court. And the reason I say that is even Joe Biden admitted that this policy probably wouldn't support, wouldn't pass Supreme Court uh, uh, muster, did right. it anyway. But that's did probably anyway. the only thing yep. that will change it at this point. Uh, and already, had, yeah, I believe you're right, Seth. Uh, unfortunately, you know, the people who are suffering are, you know, the landlords yep. right now. Yep. Because the, the people, the tenants who are in those buildings can go out, can get work, they can pay the rent, uh, but they choose not to even if they can't afford it. There's a lot of landlords out there that have tenants in there that are, are working, mm-hmm. and they're just not paying the rent because they understand 
that they they won't get evicted right now. Unfortunately, that's really sad for that landlord. I, you know, people hear landlord and they and and they think, you know, well, what about the little guy? The landlord can be the little guy, and he can, can be made be. littler. I was just looking up statistics on landlords. I was just kind of curious about this because mm-hmm. because we're not talking about KB Homes here. We're, no, we're we're, we're we're talking. Do you know what? <laughs> do you know what the average income of a landlord is? Less than a hundred thousand dollars in America. I was going to say a hundred thousand. Yeah, just under right. ninety. Good guess, ninety-seven thousand. Right. That's exactly right. We're talking about something like eleven million Americans. Yep. Um, this <laughs> is anyone advocating for them? Is anyone yeah, advocating for them? And the I will tell you, when the banks take their properties, I bet it'll be awfully quiet. Yeah, and here's the thing, Seth, is that there are so many people out there because of this real estate market that were able, and the economy, how, how great the economy was, it gave people the opportunity to buy a second mm-hmm. or a third home even, mm-hmm. put it on the market for rent, they got a tenant in there, and now all of a sudden they're in a position to where they have a tenant there that may not be paying the rent, and they cannot do anything about that right now. And it, it's going to be a real problem for uh uh, a lot of people, the banks have been holding off on foreclosures as well. But once that gate opens, uh, I'm afraid you're gonna you're gonna see a lot of people getting hurt, and it's really unfortunate right now. So it we really, got to get people back to work. That's uh, the, that's a, a, absolutely. How about back to school and back to work? Back How about that as a bumper sticker? And generally speaking, though, even with all of this going on, the stock market is hitting new records. I was watching today. that. Yeah. Yeah. Almost so I really that. have to encourage people if you're not participating in what's going on with your 401k, your IRAs, or your other investments, if you're not happy with what you're doing, please give me a call. Come see me. Let's talk about how we can get you involved and get you to be on a path so that you can be generating and building your net worth to get to that point of retirement. And as I have said before, John, you are the best. The people who have gone to you and called me based on this, just they love you and and well-deserved. By the way, speaking of investment, I have asked you from time to time, do you recommend investment properties? You wouldn't today. Well, not not with what's going on right now. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. You know, unfortunately. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. not when the government can seize your property, Mm -hmm. frankly. Well, we're going to see what's going to happen. All right, uh, give me the Al McCoy, brother. You bet. Securities and advisory services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of FINRA and SIPC, and an investment advisor, Grant Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Fastest tongue and brain west of the Mississippi. Thank, Thank you, John you, Dombrowski. Okay. God Bye. bless you. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Dana, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Thank you, dear. So I'm calling because we're talking about school, and unfortunately I still have a child that's in the public school system. Um, We only have two years left, thank goodness. But I was looking through the 2021-2022 high school handbook, and I came across something at the very end, buried in, like, page 25, that I found very interesting, and I will quote for you. By virtue of the fact that you have chosen this school, it follows that you trust the school to help raise your child. We honor your trust and take it very seriously. Parents who consistently approach episodes involving their child or their contact with the school administration, staff, or faculty in a negative, confrontational, 
or adversarial manner will be invited to leave the school community to choose another school. One thing at a time here. <laughs> yeah. One thing at a time. First, first of all, public school you mention that your child goes to. You don't have to name it. But since when it's do you charter. get to choose your public school? It's a charter. Okay, that's a little different. Fair enough. So you have a public yeah. school that's a charter, and they are now telling you they are going to operate in loco parentis with regard to your children's health? Um, apparently, we trust the school to help raise our children. Yeah, just like the kibbutz mm-hmm. or what we used to call a commune. Right. So... And interesting that they use the words confrontational and adversarial because those are quite subjective. Oh, there was a lot of subjectivity in there. Give me that sentence again. Give me that whole sentence again. Parents who consistently approach episodes involving their child or their contact with the school's administration, staff, or faculty in a negative... Negative. That's all you need. Negative. Never mind confrontational. How about negative? You know, whatever. If you engage in constructive criticism, I'm going to tell you right now, the administrators are going to call that negative. That is correct. And we were asked, actually, at the end of last year to leave, which we did not for a lot of reasons. I I wish we could have. Because you don't like to be bullied is one. Right. So so we were invited to leave. And the the other question that I have for you, and I don't know if, if this is true or not, because I'm not really well-versed in what leftists believe, but I'm told that leftists believe that parents only have their children until they're 18, where society has to endure them for the rest of their life. So parents shouldn't get a say in how the children are raised, <laughs> because we're basically just babysitters, because society gets them in the end. <laughs> I think what progressives think is that they get them in the end. I'll never forget the... Uh beat poet Allen Ginsberg, who told the conservative Norman Port Hortz, will get you through your children. I mean, there, there, there was really, Dana, nothing at all wrong with the history and civics textbooks that you and I were raised on. Let me give you an example. I, I think you might be a little younger than me. But nonetheless, uh, no. no, you're a little older. Okay, I don't think I think I'm a little older. All right, so were you in 66. high school? Let, let's try it this way: Were you in high school in the eighties? I was. Okay, fair enough. We're in the we're in the same realm. <laughs> Without going deeper, let me try this out for you. Uh, when you went through elementary and secondary, elementary and high school, did you learn about the Civil War? Yes, they taught it as the North versus the South. Did you learn that there was slavery in this country? Yes. Did you learn that we didn't always treat minorities well, including blacks and Chinese and others, Native Americans? Yep. Yeah. Did you know that 1965 was the high watermark for SAT scores in America? There was nothing wrong with our history and civics textbooks. We were telling the truth about America. They were really good. They were written by liberals, by the way. Liberals. FDR Liberals, people like Henry Steele Commager, people like Samuel Eliot Morrison. There was no need if the children weren't to be gotten to by the progressives to change all this to Howard Zinn in 1619. There would have been no need. It is a lie when CRT or 1619 advocates tell us that conservatives just don't want to show the pockmarks or the bad parts of American history. That's utterly false. 
We've been doing it for years. We want to teach the most accurate history of America we can. They're the ones who are distorting it. My point is this, Dana. They're, they're using the schools and have been using the schools for some time now to get to our children. And that's why I you know, think that what we're seeing at these school board meetings, it's harder with a charter school but in a traditional public school. I think that's the real heroism right now. Parents pushing back and you pushing back. And when they call you being negative, you tell them you tell them that you're just being a loving critic, a loving critic or engaging in constructive criticism, but that you are not giving up the rights to raising your child the way you see fit just because the law in Arizona is that you have to send your kid to school. Just tell them that. Just tell them that. I don't know what their reaction will be. I don't know if they'll ask you to leave again, but let's make a case and an issue of it. Oh, trust me. They're on my radar. That, that's one of the reasons why I'm still there is because they've got, they're stuck with me for the next two years. Good. And as a public school, I don't know this to be true, but I am guessing it to be true. As a public school, to require masking, I don't know if your school is requiring masking, is in violation of state law. Yeah, no, they've actually made it optional. So children can choose. Well, God bless that. God bless for that. Thank God, right? Yeah, yeah. That's the only reason why she's there. Yeah, because because it's not not true in Phoenix Union and other places, and it's now not true at U of A, NAU, and ASU. Right. Oh, I've got one at U of A. I'm waiting. Yeah. Gosh, Dana, more parents like you. If we had more parents like Dana, we wouldn't have an adult and parenting problem in this country, which would mean we wouldn't have a youth problem in this country. Better parents, better schools, better churches, and I'll give you back 90% of the problems this country faces. Glad to have you, Dana. Stay strong. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. You happy with uh, what's taking place in Afghanistan? You can't possibly be, right? You can't possibly be. Joe Biden, only last month, nearly exactly 30 days ago, announced the withdrawal from Afghanistan that we would be withdrawing Afghanistan. And the first question, I'm looking at the White House uh, briefing room transcript. The first question he received from the press was, Mr. President, is the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan now inevitable? This was a month ago. The president said, no, it is not. Question, why? The president Because you, the Afghan troops, have 300,000 well-equipped, as well-equipped as any army in the world, and an air force against something like 75,000 Taliban. It is not inevitable. He then went on to say, I trust the capacity of the Afghan military, who is better trained, better equipped, and more competent in terms of conducting war. I opposed permanently having American forces in Afghanistan. I argued from the beginning, as you may recall, it came to light after the administration was over last, our administration, no nation has ever unified Afghanistan, no nation. Empires have gone there and not done it. 
He's right about a lot of this. He's wrong about every prediction. As I said last April, he, write, he said, quote, The United States did what we want to do in Afghanistan, to get the terrorists who attacked us on 9-11 and deliver, to justice, and deliver justice to Osama bin Laden and degrade the terrorist threat to keep Afghanistan from becoming a base from which attacks could be continued against the United States. We achieved those objectives. That's why we went. He's missing something, isn't he? You picking up what he's missing? Well, see, there's this thing that allows you to go and reread the, the speeches about the authorization for the use of military force, as well as President Bush, who was the president at that time. And when you go back and read those speeches, you'll see there was something in there every time, in every speech, that Joe Biden left out. Something called the Taliban. Something called the Taliban. So when Joe Biden said a month ago, we did there what we went to do, get the terrorists who attacked us on 9-11 and deliver justice to Osama bin Laden and degrade the terrorist threat to keep Afghanistan from becoming a base from which attacks could be continued against the United States. Does anyone recall it? It was George W. Bush who said it was because of the Taliban that there was a base to attack the United States. And now the Taliban is back and Joe Biden just doesn't want to talk about it. And so U.S. troops are going back. Hell of a job, Brownie. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.